0: I'm going to try to stick to the script today, but the podcast today is about successful practice transitions and thinking different. A creative man is motivated by the desire to achieve and not by the desire to beat others. It reminds me of when I get my, people ask me about my competition and I don't think of, I do think of the competition. I mean, it does make you Wonder about what you need to do next in order to stay ahead of the other guy. But I've always thought that way. I've always had the motivation to achieve. And not about beating somebody else, but actually changing the ways that people think and how we do things in order to make things better. So this morning I was thinking like music turns my crank and it fires me up. If you put music in my ears, my body starts to involuntarily spasm in time to the music, you know, and before you know it, you better get out of the way as the spasms start to look a little bit like this. Okay. See that? I'm dancing. Oh, yeah, you probably can. not I have my leg up in the air and I'm holding it with my, you probably, never mind the visual. <laughs> okay. So this boy's a little crazy. A sp- Especially once I get caffeinated in the morning, my brain fires up and my poor wife groggy leads, lends me her ill while I spew endless random thoughts. So I'm going to see what she thinks this morning. What do you think when I have endless random thoughts and bug you in the morning? You're like a ping pong ball. <laughs> yes, I'm a ping pong ball and I'm going back into my, I'm actually recording this in my bathroom because it's quiet in here and then I won't drive her too nuts. <laughs> Anyways, my poor wife lends me her ear in the morning and I spew endless random thoughts. And I'm sure after a minute or two, I sound like that Charlie Brown's teacher. I hope that's how what it comes across to you. So instead of hunting down my snuggle kitten in the morning, I do my best to grab the nearest social media device and I start, uh, start trumping, you know, like spreading random thoughts with social media as quickly as they come to my brain. So... I did this morning. Usually when I wake up in the morning, I do a I look at all the investments. I I have a portfolio with about 40 stocks and I read all the stories about every stock. See if there's any opportunity in them to buy or sell or change my position. Then I go on to paste the, you know, the important shit all over Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And this morning I wrote a song and performed some analytics for work. I sent some email. I do some um Looking through my uh, emails at night, but I also do a review of the sales from the previous day and then I do an analysis and give people ideas on ways to save money on what they bought. So, if they bought a brand name temporary material, I might send them an opportunity to buy the house brand and save a couple hundred bucks. So, anyways, my damn brain's still overflowing with ideas, and I read an article in Canada's Oral Health Magazine. It was called, you can Google this or you can get onto my uh, dentistryunplugged.com and you can read this actual blog. Um, I read the article, the Dollar, dollars are in the details and it inspired me to publish a few thoughts to help my friends that are thinking of retirement and those that are starting careers in this industry as well, which is probably most of you that are listening uh, because once you're older and established you don't think about it as much but i hope some people at the other end of the rainbow also start to listen i mean i've been around since 1984 i started when i was 17 years old working with my dad and maybe a generation before that since my dad was a sales rep in canada uh, he worked in Saskatchewan and Alberta territories for a company called Ash Temple. And in 1983, he started his own dental supply house, or maybe even 82, called Dominion Dental Supply that merged uh, a couple of years later into the Sinclair Dental family uh, when it was owned by the Sinclair Dental in Canada. So we merged our companies and ran for about a decade together. So these are the thoughts of an old man in the business that's currently 52 years old and it's that's in 2018. I turned 53 this year and I'm ready for the next 35 years. So when you've been around for a while and you're the only one in the frozen tundra that's been performing the local dental appraisals and evaluations and been doing it for a few decades, you learn a few things. So one of the trends today in Canada, and that's been a trend in the US for a while is I dentists, investor dentists and corporations. And I know in the U S you have a few other things going on, um, with dentistry. Uh, there's plenty of resources that can explain this phenomenon have huge growth for this area. And the bottom line is it's all about the numbers. I've been doing appraisals for a long time and there was no, it was such a matter of opinion. And it was usually based on what did you sell the last practice for? How many people were making bids on it? And For a while there in Canada, there was way more guys wanting to retire. And this is, you know, probably related to the interest rates were 10%. And you could get a pretty secure investment out of that for your retirement. Just putting it in the bank and letting it accumulate. Uh, Now that the bottom line is, you know, you're getting... Two or 3% as a safe investment, you really have to get a decent amount of money for your practice. That probably is number one. Number two, there's a lot of people trying to buy practices. We've graduated, you know, my opinion, more than enough dentists to take care of the population. So it all comes down to the numbers. And what happened is five to 10 years ago, some smart dentists, investor dentists, um, went even a little bit further and got together with some accountants, crunched some numbers and started realizing dental practices are undervalued. And I think we have an opportunity. You know, I've built eight or 10 practices. I've got $10 million a year of gross income and I'm taking home a million dollars a year just managing the practices. That's pretty decent. I don't have to, uh, I started with my one practice, built it into two, and now I have 10 and I'm taking home 10%. And I think there's some opportunity to, you know, rather than, having a bunch of independent dentists each running a million dollar practice that's barely making it. There's some opportunity in, in gathering them all up and maybe we can get a couple percentage out of dental supplies and a couple percentage out of accounting. We don't have to have 10 different accountants. We can have one accounting firm that's, you know, costing us a lot less. So bottom line is it was in the numbers And if you have a profitable business, it's opportunity and understanding this opportunity is going to be vital for the next generation of dentists, but also for the people that are retiring. So do you understand the actual numbers for your business and how this looks to an investor? As an owner operator, you always paid yourself whatever was left after all expenses. And especially if you only ever worked by yourself with just a small team you probably have anywhere from, you know, 60 to 70% overhead, and you don't understand how adding an associate at 40% makes any sense. Then you never really sat down to understand the difference between fixed costs um, and variable costs and understand how adding that associate would have actually made you profit so you could make your business work for you. So depending on how disciplined you were in your practice, It can range from 25 to 65% of, of gross income. And it's a large stretch. There's some practices who actually run very low overhead that are single that enjoyed it. Generally, I find them in rural areas where they owned their own real estate, had a, a limited team that worked for them that didn't have a seek or have an awful lot of other opportunities, a very dedicated, loyal, Um, patient-based and they're booked out for, they're super efficient because they're booked out so far in advance and the patients always say yes. You know, I'm exaggerating a bit, but I'm saying it's a little different when you're in more competitive areas to get your practice to that amount, but it is possible. So I assume you have a good handle now on the true value of the assets that you've slaved a lifetime to protect or you're the young investor about to start your career and have been paying attention to the business of dentistry. So there's two kinds of businesses you can buy. There's, I keep it simple. Okay. There's probably more, but number one where the owner works for the business and that's the majority of small businesses all around us, not just dental businesses, but restaurants and, um, and it's no different. Business is business. You can be slaving to work for your business because you have to be there to pay all the overhead and there's little or no profit for an outside investor of the owner, maybe. And these businesses have the smallest multiples as the revenue is mostly generated by the owner and not by the team or the idea or just the product. And how can an investor give any type of multiple if they have to generate the income? So as an investor myself, if I can't get a dividend and I can't do the job of the business, there's no money in it for me. I looked at a spa recently that was for sale. And the problem was by the time the owner paid themselves, this is a a business that was doing about uh, $1.4 million a year. And at the end of the day, there was zero profit and the owner was only able to draw 60,000 a year. How can I, as an investor, look at that I'm not looking at just gross income. I need to fix too many things in order to generate an income for myself as an investor. I don't want to have to go there and slave in order to make it work. And if I have to do all the work to turn the business around, the multiple is a lot lower. Does that make sense to you? So this is the majority of dental practices. And these types of practices are what used to be typical. And they could be appraised in anywhere, you know, from two to three times earnings. And especially if you had an older practice where you got to spend so much money to change all the equipment and update all the leaseholds. And then it already isn't making profit. You you start to look at it's like, oh my God, why am I going to pay this guy 300% of what he earned last year? Because he hasn't put a dime into the practice. I need to start all over again and there's no profit. There's no way I'm going to make a profit buying that Goodwill. There is some value there, but you need to understand business. But I'm just saying generally for many years, that's how we looked at it. So in this situation where the owner is working for the business, let's just say you have a million dollar clinic and your overhead 70% before you ever pay yourself, you have $300,000 left over to you as a working owner. So if somebody wants to buy a job, they're buying their own job. They actually might even pay six to $900,000 for that million dollar gross, depending on the value of the assets. And you know what? It's so competitive. (laughs) I'm seeing prices that, you know, easily can go up to a million and a half just to buy a job. There's not even profit. These are the kind of businesses that the investor dentists don't actually look at necessarily unless they see that. They look at the bottom line and they see the opportunity to change some of those expenses. So a little bit of forensic accounting, which the owners could do themselves. Number two, the one that we all dream of the business that works for the owner. So there's a percentage of practices and generally they're large. They employ talented long-term loyalty members that create profit for the business. The the owners generally have gone on to continued education and have learned to work very efficiently and generate a lot of income when they are working at the chair side. So they may only have to work two or three days a week because of how efficient they are with their dentistry and the predictable results. These businesses make the use of time factors. The time factors is generating profit above what the owner draws and it's based on Time factors, if you follow my blogs, is about two things. Good for the patient and good for the business. So in a good example, um, if you've been around for a couple generations, is when we went to uh, from halogen curing lights to LED curing lights and the amount of time that you could save by simply using the proper curing light. Maybe nowadays it's it was going to self-etch bond instead of a multiple-step technique or... Um, going to digital X-ray from developing X-rays. I mean, some of you don't even imagine those days, but they used to exist. I've been around since we were never even had composite, and and the first generations were mix A and B, and there's two shades. Anyways, as an investor, a profitable business is an attractive business because you can buy it the way it stands and let it keep operating, and you have some guarantee of what the bottom line is going to be. So in our business, most of these clinics that I've evaluated, have uh, revenue North of 1.5 gross revenue, 1.5 million. It's what I call the tipping point. And the tipping point used to be uh, five or eight years ago, about 800 grand. <clears throat> now it's somewhere around 1.2 million where you've, addressed all your fixed expenses. And now if you can find ways to cut your expenses a little bit, but mostly increase your production, you now you're going to start making some revenue. Now you're going to see a difference to your bottom line and the value of your business. So valuations for profit in our business are five to seven times the profit. And that's meaning you're going to pay the existing owner, An associate fee, it could be 40%, it could be 50 but that can also affect the value or the bottom line of what you're going to get paid out. But valuations for profit in our business are five to seven times profit with agreements to keep the current structure of the business in place. So the owner becomes the associate and takes some responsibility to maintain that profit. And that's you know, varying degrees depending on how you negotiate, but it seems like a great idea as the owner can sell for their set price. So let's just say that you're $2 million a year clinic. And after you pay yourself the 40%, you still have 10% left over. So, and there are clinics that are running at 50%. Generally they need some infrastructure build still, or some renovations, but let's just say that they've They're super efficient. They have all the best stuff and they're extremely good at the chair. $200,000 on 2 million left over. There seems to be some type of security for owners to take a sale price of a multiple of profit while retaining the opportunity to become an associate. So it's kind of like a reverse mortgage in banking where you you probably wouldn't consider that, most of you, but it's like a reverse mortgage in my opinion. And I know I'm going to get blasted for this, but it's like a five to 10 year payback with you as the financer. So the guarantee of income coming from the previous owner for the investor, while the asset continues to grow and gain in value, you know, even those small fee guide increases and that small amount of growth, but generally you can tell a business that's been growing for 30 years at 5% a year consistently is probably going to continue. So you're paying today's value five to seven times earnings on where it's going to end up in five to seven years from now. And the person paying for that investment has actually stayed on and become the guarantor of those assets. So here's a few thoughts on how owners can possibly, instead of that security of selling your biggest investment outright and then working for the dividends, Here's a way that you can possibly get some cash flow in retirement and security. So the next few scenarios reward the potential seller with a fair market value of the profit, and even for those that are working for the business kind of scenarios. So let's take your business. Instead of instead of selling the entire amount of profit that you have, sell shares. To the working partners or associates. So if you're working for your business in order to pay the expenses and the value is in your market is three times your earnings, you may have to give a new, um, owner, some of that opportunity to earn, but you can sell them a share. So it's like taking an associate and having them come to work for you and you need to feed them a little bit. You generate 50,000 a month. You're going to give them 10,000 a month for X number of shares. Um, And so you're selling a portion of your practice at a time until the time comes when you're going to retire. In the meantime, they are a part owner get to enjoy some of the profit as the, as they build their own part of the practice and the value keeps going up by gross income and, and net will grow with that. Associate gives you an opportunity to sell at today's full market value and maintaining a mentor advisor, Position but taking more time to relax and enjoy life, so this is possible even for the companies that have uh, as long as the um, the young investor the young dentist can afford to cash flow their investment and I talk about that in a macaroni and cheese um, separate podcast I did last, so there's also a possible tax advantage. Um, as you're getting paid for your shares over time, you need to talk to your accountant about that, but instead of taking all one lump sum, you can take it over time, and it's kind of like getting paid out of your corporation over time, so there could be some possible tax advantages from the associate from the if you're a young dentist and thinking of buying in the other way to possibly do this in Canada. Uh, You may be listening from the U S and I'm sorry about what's happened with your associate fees, but that's my concern about Canadian practices right now in Canada. We average about 40%, 30, 30 to 40% associate fees, depending on where you're practicing. But I would suggest you put a small amount of your associate fees towards a purchase price. You're going to take home less, but you're financing it with the work that you're doing. So it's like a rent to own where you're doing a bit of a fixer upper. Okay. And that could work in any of these scenarios. Number two scenario as a dentist that wants to retire is to merge. And even if you're a younger clinic that doesn't have the the great, you have trouble with your overhead, merge with another local clinic to increase the value of both businesses by enjoying more profitable clinics with a lower fixed expense. So you have one clinic doing a million here, another clinic doing a million there, and together they're each running at 70% overhead by merging the two practices together and I'm hoping that one of the leases is coming up and you won't have that commitment and you can somehow sell the other equipment or expand the second practice you get to enjoy lower fixed expenses so an older dentist would basically retire his worn out clinic and move over to the newer clinic this is a perfect scenario he can sell shares in his company to the younger clinic but enjoy the benefits of the newer space and the equipment, getting paid for his goodwill and not have the pressure of needing to sell if anything happens to his health or to, you know, turnover of that one hygienist that you have that's been with you for 15 years and decides that uh, they don't like being a hygienist anymore. You have some some merging gives you the ability to have shared team members. I'm going to go into benefits after. The third idea I have is to be, is to look for associate and established investors, the dentists. If you have a partnership where the current partner isn't willing or able to buy, maybe they don't like the valuation. I do suggest shotgun clauses, by the way, in, in your associate agreements. And by the way, if you're going to be an associate, uh, taking a job, understand the value, have that practice appraised, or ask for if you will ever have an opportunity to buy in and how the structure would look, can you buy in at today's value? Are you going to be buying your own job back? Is there some discount for what you're doing? Can you put some of your uh, associate fees towards a guarantee uh, shotgun clause of paying market value? Lots of ideas you don't think of when you're just getting a job, but if you're going to sell the third idea, so number one, sell shares, number two, merge, Number three, find an associate or establish investors. So if you have a partner or associate that isn't willing or able to buy, it may be possible to find another local investor dentist uh, with a similar personality that'd be happy to give you the terms as long as you give them a return on their investment. So as long as a dentist remains the principal owner, you can even take on private investors to help secure your value. You may find a guy like me that... Although I have a conflict of interest because of my job and what I do, but you may find a private investor that will help that will buy your practice based on the potential for future earnings and the the profit. So you can start to take more time off and let that other person work. Um, I, like, I like the idea of bringing in an outside investor dentist that owns other clinics that buys you out or half of your clinic and eventually they can work their own associates in. So here's the benefits of my ideas. You have lower fixed major costs like the rent, the equipment and the team by merging. You have complementary treatment planning. In the mergers that I've been involved in over the years, I've been in I've done several and you can and we haven't seen it here yet, but I think the day is coming where you bring in specialists or what I do see more often GPs who have a different and complementary skill set. A group practice with complementary skills means very few referrals are sent out of the practice. And these practices generate great cash flow and great profit. And I know for sure I've got some practices in Saskatoon that are bringing in general practice dentists that love to do endo so that they don't have to refer as much endo out the door. And I have other practices that bring in GP dentists to do surgery days and that also keeps and they pay them a fair fee actually to get them there but it keeps that in the practice it keeps the patient at their practice it keeps everybody happy it generates revenue for their bottom line merging practices has a huge impact on lowering overhead and and increasing production and that that also leads to lowered variable expenses so because now, instead of buying forty thousand dollars a year supplies, you're buying eighty thousand or a hundred thousand. there's a couple more percentage points that get knocked off from volume purchases and turnover. Your maintenance is lower because you don't have a you have half as many chairs to fix, maybe they're getting used more often and for more hours, but you're like you're using that equipment like a semi truck you can drive the hell out of it, you know. 12 hours a day and get the most use out of that in the least amount of time before it gets outdated. So supply, maintenance, repair, continued education costs because now you can take a team. There's some benefits to team continued education instead of just one person getting educated and and, and learning a new technique. It's easier to get more team members trained and, and move that freight train forward quicker. And for marketing too, it reduces your cost of marketing because instead of two practices, you have one practice. Becomes a a team effort. So it's easier to keep and train members for those personal days and sick days. So a bigger practice has, you know, maybe they have half a dozen um, assistants, one or two part-time afloat. And then they have a couple extra hygienists on call. They have extra reception. They're able to invest more because of the gross dollars that are there to keep all the equipment up to date in the marketing they can afford to keep that extra person on their team because it doesn't affect their bottom line that much they can usually afford to pay more and offer more benefits so now think of this doctor if you've sold your practice what are you going to do with that and and you did get your you know the multiple that made you happy on the open market by by guaranteeing an investor your time. What are you going to do with that cash that you just got paid after taxes to generate revenue in your retirement? It's difficult. I'm an investor. I've done well with my investments, but on the open market, when you're retired and you need cash flow, try and find something that pays 10% or more. That's not an equity and not risky. It's very difficult. And in my opinion, I wrote on a previous blog, I think that dental practices are almost a tangible asset at this point. When you buy an existing business that's been running for many years profitably and the owner is willing to stay and work, that's almost tangible. I know you can't touch and feel it, but you kind of can. It's been working already for so long. It's a machine you're buying. So where else are you going to put your money? What machine are you going to put into the open market that's going to generate you 10% a year? What are you going to do with that secure sale price you got? Is there any chance you could find a way to have your business pay you while you enjoy your retirement? I think so. Thank you for tuning in to Dentistry Unplugged. You can find me at DentistryUnplugged.com. You can read this Um, podcast, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed it.